Welcome to Whores Talk Horror. We're not really whores. We just like wordplay. Hello and welcome to Whores Talk Horror. I'm Sharon. And I'm Melinda. Welcome to another Tidbits of Terror episode. Tidbits of Terror, Terror, Tidbits, Tidbits of Terror, Terror, Tidbits, Alright, thank you Carrie Weeder for that Tidbits of Terror theme song. We are forever indebted to you. Um, on this Tidbits episode, we have more updates on the new Scream movie. We are also going to talk about the most exciting news that at least uh, I've heard all year. Um, Mindy, maybe it's the most exciting news you've heard all year as well. We are also going to have a no-spoiler discussion on the new HBO documentary series that we've been watching called Murder on Middle Beach. We've got some Clive Barker news, uh, some upcoming horror movie news, also holiday gifts for horror lovers, and much, much more. So Mindy, why don't you start us off with some news on the new Scream movie? All righty. The latest upcoming installment of the Scream franchise has recently wrapped filming. Yay! Um, Okay, I say yay. I'm excited. Uh, As everyone knows, I'm not down with remakes or reboots normally, but my expectations are on the rise for this thing, Um, especially since Gail Weathers herself is reporting that this movie would have made Wes Craven proud. That's that threw me. I didn't see that coming. Uh, Courtney Cox posted to her Instagram account a really adorable image of herself with Wes Craven on the set of the original screen film, which get ready to feel old. That was 25 fracking years ago. Jesus. Anyway, she captioned the photo with the following quote, scream just wrapped. This all started 25 years ago, directed by the beloved Wes Craven. Walking back on the set 25 years later, I wasn't sure what to expect. What I found was an incredible new cast, two uber-talented directors. I'm sure Wes will be so proud. Thank you, at Kevin Williamson, for creating this legacy, unquote. And I'm not going to lie, I got a little choked up reading that the first time. Oh, Wes, we love you. Uh, recently, directors, and I'm, I apologize in advance, Matt Battling, oh, oh Jesus, but Matt Open. <laughs> Matt Battinelli Open. There you go. And uh, Tyler Gillett, who, Sharon, what did he direct? Uh, they directed Ready or Not, one of yeah. our favorite films of last year. Damn straight. Um, they confirmed what we kind of already guessed, uh, but that this Scream installation is a direct sequel to the original films. Director Tyler Gillette said, quote, there's just so much weight in what those four movies are. The fact that there are so many characters that so many people want to know more about, want to have more stories told with these characters There's just a level of love and respect for the world that Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson created. He continues, so for us, it felt like the only way to do this right was to create connectivity. And a lot of it is also just what the screen movies are, right? They're about lineage. They're about the evolution of pop culture and the evolution of the genre. And you can't have something new without also giving a nod to what came before it. And paying respect and giving a bow to what followed. 
He adds, and so for us, it felt like that was the only way to do it, to have a connection to the past and to find a way to create new and interesting characters that would bring a new audience and an old audience together and hopefully move the whole thing forward in a contemporary and terrifying and fun way. We'll see. But I'm definitely curious and will hopefully be able to carry on my scream tradition of seeing the film on the big screen by the time it's released, which right now is set for theaters in uh, which right now is set for a theater release on January 14th, 2022. So wear your mask. Okay, I got it out. I think we'll leave that part in. So wear your damn masks, people. <laughs> I have a date with Sydney Prescott, and you've got about a year to get your shit together. I don't know. What do you think, Sharon? I'm excited for this. I'm, yeah, I think they're going to do a great job. Uh, if this is anywhere, anywhere or anywhere near as good as Ready or Not, then it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to have some good gore. Uh, it has all the original cast for the, I mean, you know, the three main people. And I think they're going to have some surprises. I'm still kind of hoping for uh, a Matthew Lillard um, cameo somewhere. A hundred percent. I know. I love him so much. And I would love that. He's been compa- like uh, campaigning, I think, on social media for that. And I'm not quite sure if he's joking or what. But yeah, I'm excited. I think it would be fun to even bring back like Drew Barrymore or, you know, um, I don't know if um, Rose McGowan would be up for it. You know, bring back those characters in some capacity, like they can play brand new characters or I don't know, there could be like flashback scenes or however, however they want to do it. But I'm looking for a lot of Easter eggs and uh, fun surprises. Yeah, and I think if it were any other directing team, I would be kind of dubious, but I really liked Ready or Not, so that gives me hope. Well, something else to look forward to, uh, possibly, maybe, uh, there are rumors that David Lynch might be in the works for a new Netflix show. Um, And of course, we had to talk about this because he's my favorite director, artist, artist. Yeah, he's just... Human being. Human being. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Spencer. Um, Yeah, and one of Mindy's favorites as well. Um, But this is definitely like the best news of the year besides for the fact that Biden won the election. Um, But there's been a lot of news sources claiming that a David Lynch Netflix series might start production as early as next year. The acclaimed filmmaker has been a little tight-lipped about what he's doing next, which is no surprise to fans because he does not like to (laughs) talk about his work or, you know, give any sort of spoilers or insight into what he's doing. He likes to keep us on our toes. Um, But there is a report in Production Weekly that reveals that Lynch is set to direct a new Netflix series, and there's a rumor that the working title is Wisteria. Uh, all this is subject to change or is complete bullshit. Um, but I, I, you know, there's a lot of people who kind of follow his every move. And there was people out there that put together a lot of details about Twin Peaks season three before a lot of things were even announced. So I think a lot of sources are, are pretty credible. Um, but yeah, other than the fact that 
it's called wisteria, possibly. There's really not a lot of information beyond that. And obviously, Netflix is declining to comment at the moment. Uh, Lynch already worked with Netflix on his short film titled What Would Jack Do? And if you haven't seen that, you should watch it because it's very cute and clever. Uh, it's about a detective that interrogates a monkey suspected of murder. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> so, yeah, I I mean, if this is true, this is like so exciting because I will watch anything that David Lynch puts out. How are you feeling about, about this news, Mindy? I, I don't know what to think because with him, as always, we never know what is coming. Um, but, I mean, I'm definitely obviously very curious to see and excited uh, Smidgen is too. He's he's meowing his excitement. I don't think you guys can hear it, but um, he's also very excited. My cat. <laughs> yeah, I think you know whenever David Lynch is rumored to be putting something out, I just I kind of try to ignore the details and then just like wait for it because I just want to like have him throw it at me and and experience it and see what happens. So I hope that these rumors are true, and I can't wait to see what comes of it. Yeah, my brain still hasn't fully recovered from <laughs> Twin Peaks season three. I'm still trying to like fully comprehend everything that, you know, we experience with that show. But um, yeah, I, I this is this is really just um, I don't know. You're right. I, I, I don't want to think too hard about it because one, I don't want to be disappointed or let down if it doesn't happen. Right. Um, but also when you when you try and um figure david lynch out <laughs> it's just it's you it's best just to like step back and experience it and just take it for what it is and not try and think too hard about it cuz it'll break your brain and for those who are curious about if this is connected to twin peaks at all uh supposedly well not supposedly mark frost confirmed that he is not involved in this at all so it's looking like this is not twin peaks related just david lynch which kind of makes it, I think, all the more interesting that it could be really just whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and personally, I kind of don't know that I want there to be more David Lark. Oh my God, no, not no more David Lynch. That's not what I meant. Um, more <laughs> Twin Peaks because, yeah, we're still processing what happened at the end of season three. And I don't, I was just reading something recently I, and I think it was a quote from David Lynch. I, and I'm so sorry, I don't have the source but um, the, basically, the idea was like people really wanted a season three of Twin Peaks. But like when you think about it, did you want a season three? Like that was kind of my question from the beginning because I was like the way season two ended, only bad things would be in season three, um, which is kind of what happened because I mean evil was in control based on the end of season two. So I, I yeah, I kind of hope that we don't revisit Twin Peaks and kind of let it just sit in that mystery where it is now. But then again, Mark Frost and David Lynch could come up with something brilliant later and I'll take, I'll eat my words. So in which case I would be happy to. So who knows, but I would like to see something new from David Lynch. I think it's been a while. Absolutely. All right, Mindy, what's next? Okay. So is anyone else watching HBO's uh, murder on middle beach? Me. 
Yay. <laughs> yeah, I kind of discovered this randomly and and started watching it. And the first episode... Well, actually, you didn't discover it randomly because we talked about it on our last Tidbits of Terror episode. <laughs> oh, did we? Well, when I first uh-huh. saw it on HBO, though, before we talked about it, I didn't know what it was. Good save. Good save. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, the premise of it is uh, Madison Hamburg explores the real-life unsolved violent death of his own mother in Connecticut while he uncovers surprising secrets along the way. The series revolves around the case of Barbara Hamburg, Madison's mother, who was brutally murdered on March 3rd, 2010, near her home in the upper-middle-class enclave of Madison, Connecticut. Investigators speculated that this was a crime of passion, but without sufficient evidence, the case grew cold. Over the course of eight years, Hamburg interviewed his family members and many others to learn more about his mother's life and gather evidence in hopes of solving her murder. Along the way, he uncovers a web of familial and local secrets, connections to shadowy figures, and years-old resentments in his deceptively serene hometown. So that's the basic premise um, how spoilery do we want to get with this, Sharon? Because there's only Not been about three. spoilery because we haven't even seen the last episode yet. <laughs> well, Which- there's only three episodes so far. Like, I'm caught up, but I was really pissed to find out that, like, there were Yeah, only- but there's only four episodes total, and the last one airs tomorrow, so... Ugh. I want more. But this this caught me by surprise in terms of the plot, because... At first, I was kind of watching it and like the especially the first episode. I'm like, where is this going? And honestly, almost thought it was kind of boring. And then it just takes this turn. And I was in it like hardcore. And I'm going to try and I'm avoiding talking about things I wrote down because I don't want to uh, spoil anything. But I think it's really worth a watch. And it kind of unveiled a, a version of middle to upper class Connecticut that I did not know existed. Yeah, I agree. At first I was like, okay, this is a decent documentary because, you know, we did talk about this on our last Tidbits episode and it sounded really, really promising. Um, But each episode does get better and better. And also because the documentary was told over so many years, you see how the documentary evolves. And by evolves, I mean... Madison just becomes a better filmmaker uh Mm. you know obviously when he first started he was pretty young and um you know I don't know how much experience he had but the documentary does progress and it gets better um so you kind of see that like evolution of him actually becoming uh, a better documentary filmmaker and yeah, the, it's not exactly what I thought it was going to be. I literally thought it was going to take place on a beach, but Middle Beach <laughs> is the name of the street that they live on. Um, but the murder actually happened at their family home. And all the the secrets that are revealed, I mean, he's interviewing everyone in his family, sister, father, aunts, uncles, like family, friends, and everyone's really surprisingly candid. Like, they open up tons of, like, cans of worms into their own private lives, and um, they're not great people. Well, and I, yeah, totally. And I now have, like, three different theories on who could have done it, which I wasn't expecting, because they are so candid. I feel like there are certain things that get 
exposed mm-hmm. that I was I remember I was like watching this going should you have really said that on camera like <laughs> it's it's kind of fascinating and and so I'm sad it's gonna wrap up but also realize this is this man's real life and want him to move on and have peace so I, I guess I'm glad it's wrapping up but um like entertainment perspective if you can say that if you're a fan of like you know mysteries and and all this true crime stuff it is I think it's a must watch I think it's really interesting and uh I I'm I mean once I got past that first episode I was just utterly fascinated yeah and also um there could be a second season to this I don't I don't know like I mean so the final episode's tomorrow night on the 6th. Today, we're recording on the 5th. Um, so when this episode airs on the 7th, we'll have found out if the mystery is solved or if there's going to be a second season, possibly. Um, but yeah, as far as uh, there was like one point you brought up, Mindy, where you said you have like three different theories now I like that in the documentary at one point he was like the only thing I'm sure of is I'm not the person who did it totally right Um, and yeah basically everyone surrounding his mom had kind of a legit motive to murder her which is like what the fuck like how fucked up is it that everyone in your family or your like circle of close friends would have a reason to want to murder you. Do I have that? I got my eyes on you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think Mindy might have a reason to want to murder me <laughs> and Spencer might have reasons sometimes too, but Yeah, but shit. I think I think you got reasons to murder me too. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Touché. Yeah, I'm kind of dying to know if they figure this out or what. I don't want to say I hope there's a season two, but like I kind of do if they don't resolve this because I want to see this resolved, actually. Yeah, and it, it could not have been easy for the filmmaker, Madison, to to be interviewing these people about someone, his own mother, like someone that he loved so dearly and was so close with. And they show lots of videos of, you know, childhood home movies and um just old pictures and yeah it's it's I think very well done so yeah I agree I would recommend it agreed if true crime isn't really your thing uh, (laughs) good transition (laughs) thank you um I have some news on an upcoming Christmas horror anthology movie um so this comes from horrornews.net There is a new Christmas horror anthology film from Scream Factory and Shout Studios that was released on November 24th, um, but I just found out about it. It's going to be uh, on demand starting December 1st. It is called Death December, and it is the world's first cinematic advent calendar, which sounds very interesting. It's a collection of 24 short films that take a look at the darker side of the Christmas season, and it's directed by 24 international directors who showcase their own unique styles and ideas. Uh, The short films are also linked together by short animated segments that deal with the advent calendar itself. So I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like that before. So this sounds really interesting. Um, The reviews that I've read so far aren't great, but you know, you and I don't really pay attention to reviews that much anyways. We watch a lot of things that have horrible reviews and end up really liking them. So I think I'll just have to watch it and make my own decision. Yeah. Um, Where, where's it going to be? Is it in theaters or? 
like just uh, so it is I know on, it's on demand. demand yeah on demand and I'm sure uh you know what Spencer can you look that up yeah Spencer will look that up but while he's doing that uh some of the directors involved with this movie are Lucky McKee who is the director of such horror movies as May the Woman and also he did a segment from Tales of Halloween uh, Pollyanna McIntosh directs uh, another one of the short films. She's best known for playing Jadis in The Walking Dead, uh, but she was also in a um, in the movie Tales of Halloween. Ruggiero Diodato, who is the director of Cannibal Holocaust, a movie that I cannot bring myself to f- finish watching. <laughs> um, I wonder why. Ugh, I can't. You know what? I could watch it if I knew. Based on the title alone. <laughs> well, it's. I mean. It's a classic, and I know people love this movie, and I I really wanted to watch it. I can do killing when it involves people. I cannot do animal stuff, and knowing that all the animals that were killed in this movie were actual, you know, real animals. It wasn't oh, any shit. sort of yeah, props no. or anything. Like, I, I can't do that. Like, I just can't get past that. Um, yeah, but he directed one of the the short films also there's performances by um some pretty popular horror actors sean bridgers um you might know him mindy he was in deadwood i know you're a big fan of that show and he was also in the movie room not to be confused with the movie the room right uh he yeah he was in the lee or lee brie larson he was in the uh brie Larson movie room uh horror movie queen Barbara Crampton from Chopping Mall from Beyond and Reanimator she's in this AJ Bowen from Your Next Satanic Panic and I Trap the Devil is in this and Tiffany Shepis who has made over 100 independent films including a personal favorite of your mom Mindy Sharknado 2 it's your mom's favorite (laughs) It is actually my mom's favorite. <laughs> so this movie is, I was curious about how long it was since there's 24 short segments plus animated pieces in between. It's two hours and 25 minutes. Wow. So get ready. Um, but you can find it pretty much other, anywhere. It says Hoopla, Apple TV, YouTube, Vudu, Amazon, DirecTV, Fandango, etc. I'm sure there's more. Um, so yeah, it should be easy to find. Okay. I mean, yeah, that that is a long movie, um, but maybe you can split it up over a couple of nights or something. And we want you to watch it, and then we want you to rate each segment, say which one is your favorite, <laughs> give us a list of all 24, email that to us, and then we will tabulate all your responses and we'll come up with the final list. Incorrect. We okay. will not be doing that. Please do not do that. All right. Oh. <laughs> I just looked up who Sean Bridgers was because I wasn't quite sure. And if anybody watched Deadwood, he's Johnny. Aww. Not Johnny. I have no idea. I've never seen Deadwood. <laughs> well, he's kind of a sweetheart. So I hope he's not a bit. But he's a good actor. I've seen him be evil in other horror movies and he's a good actor. So yeah, that sounds interesting. I mean, that's a long running time, but uh, I'll check it out. You can watch one movie, one of the uh, short films every day for 24 days. Right. Well, we're a few days <laughs> behind. We got to get started. That's true. For an advent calendar, we are behind. I already ate all the candy out of the one that my parents gave <laughs> me. I probably shouldn't have said that out loud, but I did. Mindy, <laughs> do you have more news about upcoming horror movies? 
I have some exciting news about Clive Barker. Um, and this all comes from The Hollywood Reporter. I wasn't really, I, I guess I never really thought about like publication and ownership rights before two films. Um, but duh, of course, that is something that exists because people write and direct the movie, but then publishers put it out into the world and they technically own the rights. Uh, so The Hollywood Reporter says that Clive Barker, who, of course, wrote and directed one of my favorite horror films, that said tongue in cheek, uh, the 1987 horror flick Hellraiser, Clive Barker has successfully leveraged copyright law to recapture the American rights to the franchise. Um, just recently, his attorney filed papers in, in California federal court confirming a settlement with Park Avenue Entertainment, the production company that's currently enjoying the rights to the film. This is kind of legalese, but just if anybody's into that kind of thing, a little bit of backstory, I guess. Under the termination provisions of the Copyright Act of 1976, authors may recapture rights from publishers after waiting a prescribed period, which is usually 35 years for newer works. That seems like a long time. Okay, um, all of our listeners are experts on the uh, termination provisions of the Copyright Act of 1976. Right. Well, I'm sure. like, and like they can get the rights back. Um, from the basically what this is saying is they can recapture the rights from publishers uh and send a notice within a five-year window that they intend to do so and uh basically clive barker won (laughs) um so that's pretty awesome um this same kind of thing happened up here and this is all stuff that i didn't know before and again yeah i'm no expert in uh copyright law in general (laughs) let alone (laughs) for movies but uh Friday the 13th is basically stuck in limbo. A judge ruled in favor of the writer against the producer, but the case is still pending an appeal. Uh, so they're, so the creators of Friday the 13th are trying to do the same thing, but they're kind of stuck in purgatory, <laughs> so to speak, for a horror movie in terms of getting their rights back. But they're, theoretically, they should have them. Um, Given the statutory clock, Barker isn't the only writer from the 80s attempting to get back franchise rights. So this is I just had never thought about this before. And it's an interesting point. And yay for Clive Barker that he succeeded, especially since HBO was apparently going to do a Hellraiser show. Um, It's uh, right now in development with HBO, a potential TV series based on the original Hellraiser movies. And Sharon, I'm going to need your help. But the project comes from writers Mark Vanderden. You are like, (laughs) I think we should do an entire episode, Mindy, where we just like give you people's names and you have to read them and we can just laugh. (laughs) That's why I already gave you a heads up that I was going to need your name. I know. I think it's uh, Verheiden. Verheiden, okay. So Mark I, Verheiden. I really want to do an episode where we just listen to you read read people's names from like a phone book or something. I think we've got enough outtakes. <laughs> I was going to say, there's probably plenty of outtakes. So Mark, that dude, uh, and then Michael Doherty and David Gordon Green, uh, who were behind 2018's Halloween, uh, they are all set to direct several of the initial episodes of this Hellraiser series. Uh, the potential series is based, like I said, on the Hellraiser movie franchise, uh, which currently counts 10 films. Are you fucking serious? I don't think mm-hmm. I realized there were that many Hellraiser movies. Uh, uh-uh. The most recent one being 2018's Hellraiser Judgment. 
which I feel like there's a joke there somewhere. I'm just not <laughs> coming up with it. So is Clive Barker involved in the HBO show? I thought that I read that he is like a, a producer, possibly. Um, but I think that that ties into the whole getting the rights back. Yeah, I was going to say, if he just got the rights back, you would think he would have to be involved. Otherwise, what's the point of him getting the rights back? Like they would be going like legally, then he could sue HBO for making a show since he now owns the rights. Am, am I like right understanding all this correctly? Yeah, exactly. And it's still... I mean, this is still in talks, so it's not a for sure thing yet, but I kind of feel like it might be because HBO, they get their shit together. And yeah, he just recovered the U.S. rights to the movie in the franchise. So um, the project is separate from a reboot. Thank God. Uh, (laughs) Spyglass Media apparently has a reboot in development of, of Hellraiser. Um, with David Bruckner, who did Nighthouse, attached to direct. So that, not so much behind, but the, the TV project will be a continuation and expansion, not a reboot, of the well-established mythology of the film series, which centers on, of course, a group of evil beings from hell known as Cenobites, led by the iconic Pinhead character. So it sounds like the reboot is literally a reboot, whereas the series would be a continuation. So Weird. is Pinhead going to be played by the same actor? I don't know. I didn't I didn't hear anything about that yet. Um, I don't know that they'd find anyone as tall. Probably. But he's pretty freaking tall, right? No, I don't think he's that tall. Because we every time we would go to the Days of the Dead Fest, we'd see him there walking around. And I don't remember him being like overly tall. Yeah, they probably just put some good platform shoes on him or, you know, yeah. f- f- uh, cinema trickery. Um, I did a little bit of research and it looks like Clive Barker, I-, I don't see him as connected to the TV show, but he is writing the reboot. <laughs> so he's connected to the movie and maybe not the series. Hmm. That's Yeah, weird. but okay. So I'm, I am not an expert on um, copyright law either. I know we're just like shocking our listeners right now. Um, But so it seems to me if he bought the rights back, either he's involved in some way, either that or HBO is paying him a ton of money to make the TV show and he's like not involved at all. Or maybe he gets like final... I don't know, say so before they they actually start filming or um, before they air it. My guess is he probably wanted the rights back if he wanted to do a reboot. But also, yeah, like they would have to pay some sort of royalties or something to him, even if he wasn't involved in the TV show. So, I mean, either way, I, I think it's safe to say that Clive Barker is going to get paid pretty soon. <laughs> um, but because he was really uh, hurting. <laughs> Hurting for money. Right. Yeah, because I'm sure he's totally hurting. You never know. You never know. But so for those of you who are fans of Hellraiser, you've got stuff to look forward to. I, I'm glad about Clive Barker, but I'm, again, not a huge Hellraiser fan, so I'm excited for y'all. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of reboots, um, this comes from The Daily Dead. Macon Blair who is the writer and director of I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, which Mm. is the Netflix movie starring Elijah Wood and Melanie Linsky that I absolutely love and 
definitely need to get around to rewatching. Um, so good. Not so good. Yeah, it's it's really good. If you've never seen it, check it out. Um, but that I have to do a rewatch on that soon. Um, he's also an actor who has been in Green Room and Murder Party. Um, so he is going to write and direct a reboot of the cult classic trauma movie, The Toxic Avenger. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter revealed that Peter Dinklage, whoop, yes, Game of Thrones, Tyrion Lannister, Peter Dinklage will star in the film. Um, ow, ow. I love me some Peter Dinklage. I, yeah, I love him too. I'm just kind of shocked that he's going to play the, um, I mean, it says he's going to star in it. I'm assuming he's going to be the Toxic Avenger. I know nothing <laughs> about the Toxic Avengers, so I have no input on this. But yay, Peter Dinklage. He's going to get paid too, probably. Yeah, well, the original Toxic Avenger uh, came out in 1984. It follows a bully janitor named Melvin Ferd, who falls into toxic waste after being pursued by his tormentors only to rise from certain death and transform into a disfigured defender of Tromaville, New Jersey. Uh, The film was actually followed by three sequels, a 90s cartoon show, and also a stage musical, which I had no idea. I knew about the sequels. Um, not sure if I knew about the cartoon show. Definitely had no idea that there was a Toxic Avenger stage musical, which I would love to see. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe after quarantine, if it ever comes to Chicago, we can go uh, take in a musical, Mindy. And if um, theater and it was still also- exists after, live theater still exists after quarantine, because they're hurting right now. But yeah, I would totally see a, a, a live musical <laughs> of the Toxic Avenger. <laughs> uh, it was also a Marvel comic book series. According to The Hollywood Reporter, the new Toxic Avenger is described as a contemporary reimagining that will subvert the superhero genre a la Deadpool. Uh, so that'll be fun i think am i the only one who's actually seen the movie i guess Maybe. you are <laughs> yeah <laughs> um trauma entertainments lloyd kaufman and michael hers who co-directed the original toxic avenger will serve as executive producers on the reboot so yeah this is kind of exciting i i know i i need to see the toxic avenger spencer has been bugging me for years about watching it and i've kind of been like nah, nah. i just you know have never really been in the mood to watch it, but we're definitely going to have to watch it now, especially if there's a uh, a reboot coming out with Peter Dinklage, because I think that would be entertaining as shit. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Yeah, now you have a real good reason to watch it. I haven't seen the sequels. I, I wouldn't say I was bugging you about seeing it, but I've definitely <laughs> mentioned it because I, I kind of want to rewatch it anyway because I don't really remember it, but it's it's uh, old, dated, 80s, crappy, but fun and goofy and I love those yeah. types of movies. So, yeah, I don't know why I've been so hesitant to watch it. It just, you know, it's one of those movies that I, I remember seeing in the video store ever since I was like a little kid. Oh, yeah. That just the cover of that movie just sticks with you. And it was always like, huh. <laughs> yeah, I kind of felt the same way. I, I finally watched it as an adult uh, not all that long ago. Um, but, yeah, and we have to see the sequels, too. Do we? Yeah. All right. <laughs> So uh, really quick, though, in terms of the original, are we talking like 80s Flash Gordon style kind of movie or Spencer, have you ever seen Flash Gordon? Uh, not not really. I mean, I've seen clips. Um, no, I mean, it's like because that's like the cheesy I, 80s awesome that I love. 
Yeah, this is, um, I mean, for anybody who's familiar with trauma, this is like mm. the classic trauma film. It's low, basically no budget, very low budget, uh, bad, but really goofy, crappy effects. Um, uh, and just, just like, you know, it's, it's just trauma. It's trauma. I don't know how else <laughs> to describe it. It's just trauma. That's going to be our new catchphrase. It's just trauma. We'll, we'll watch it soon. There, there may be some edibles involved. <laughs> I think there might have to be. <laughs> All right. Mindy, what is next? Well, just a friendly little PSA for everybody. Um, every Warner Brothers movie coming out or scheduled to come out in 2021 will be released simultaneously in theaters and on HBO Max. Um, I don't know if... How many people out there have HBO Max? But if you have HBO, FYI, you have HBO Max. You have to just go in and add the app. Um, These movies include the remake of Dune, starring the hot bearded Oscar Isaac, um, as well as the Matrix 4. Side note, they're making a Matrix 4. What the fuck do we need a Matrix 4? Why? I don't get it. I I like how you're just finding out about this now. (laughs) Uh, well, actually, a friend of mine, I texted him about it the other day, and he goes, I don't know, but Lawrence Fishburne isn't in it, so I don't give a fuck. <laughs> um, anyway, I don't give yes. a fuck like he doesn't like Lawrence Fishburne? or No, like why would you see it if Lawrence Fishburne's not going to be in it? Like who cares? I don't care. Oh, wait. I thought you said Lawrence Fishburne is in it. No, he's not going to be in it. That's what oh, he's not I was told. Okay. Yeah. Well, Keanu Reeves is going to be in it, so... Is he? I mean... What do you mean, is he? He don't need to get paid. Why does he need to make a Matrix 4? Anyway, I got off topic. But uh, any any Warner Brothers films coming out for the next year, you'll be able to watch at home if you have HBO Max. So just a little FYI, Sharon, thoughts? I think it's pretty generous because, yeah, if you pay for, let's say you just pay for one month of HBO Max, and you, if they're releasing all these movies simultaneously, you can just binge a ton of movies that you would have paid probably hundreds of dollars to go see them in the theater. You can just watch them all in like one month for well, like well, bucks. I think at the end of the year you can. They're they're still going to be released at their st- scheduled date, right? You know, if this one one is going to be coming coming out in January, it's going to come out in HBO Max at the same time as the theater. But the next one might there, you know, the other ones won't come out through until later in the oh, year oh okay sorry it's theaters i misunderstood that when you said that they were all going to be released simultaneously you meant they're going to be released in the theater and on hbo max simultaneously that, i yeah. was thinking i, I was just gonna say i think i worded that poorly i apologize no but, i yes. think i'm just dumb <laughs> um okay i get what you're saying i thought it meant they're releasing every movie that's going to be coming out next year all on one day on january 1st and 2021 I was like, that's really fucking generous of that would, yeah like, that'd be wow. amazing <laughs> um that would be amazing but okay gotcha 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 i mean yeah whatever i'm glad because there's a lot of people who even if there wasn't a pandemic there's still people who can't necessarily make it to the movie because they don't have a babysitter or they um don't have a car or they live in a rural area and don't have a theater nearby. I mean, there's 
Yeah. You know, maybe someone or has. Some they're my of, mom and they have bad knees, but we'll do anything to see Keanu Reeves, even just read a phone book. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think it's pretty cool. And I'm we have HBO Max, so I'm sure we'll take advantage of watching a bunch of these movies. So. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Why not? Awesome. Well, with the holidays on the way, what should we do for. Well, 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 let me start that again. <laughs> With the holidays on the way, what should one do for their gift giving if they have a horror fan that they need to gift? Sharon, do you have any ideas? It is so funny that you brought that up (laughs) because uh, the Daily Dead put out a 2020 holiday gift guide that was written by Heather Wixon. Um, So if you're looking for the perfect holiday gift for that special horror slash book lover in your life um, or for yourself, because I mean, if you're anything like me, I buy like a couple gifts for, you know, I buy like one gift for every single person in my life that I'm close to. And then I buy myself like 20 things. Totally. (laughs) Totally. I'm the same way. This article is just about books, basically, but there's a lot of really cool books out there, and I'm kind of a book nerd. I know, Mindy, you're definitely a book nerd as well, Uh, and these all just sounded really, really cool. Um, So, Spencer, take note if uh, (laughs) you want to get me a Christmas present and or Hanukkah presents. um, We really should give each other Hanukkah gifts. Should we? (laughs) Well, you're Jewish, so... That's what they tell me. Uh, we should be giving each other at least eight gifts this month. I, I got you two already. That's true. I got two Are pairs you of wearing? socks. No, you're not. I got two different kinds of Friday the 13th socks. Um, but anyways. I was like, do we want to hear about the gifts you guys are giving each other? Maybe that's a different kind of podcast. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> nothing like that. <laughs> um So yeah, we will put the names of all these books in our episode description in case you're interested in buying them. Um, The first one, for all you Halloween fans out there, is Taking Shape 2, The Lost Halloween Sequels. Do you get the cleverness of that name, Mindy? No. What? Come on, think about it. Taking Shape? Wow. All right, Mindy's getting kicked off the podcast. Michael Meyer is called The Shape. He is referred oh, to as The Shape. See? Okay. Yep. You're right. Gotcha. I never okay. think about him that way, though. So, but you're right. Say, please you're... tell me that just went over your head because if you didn't realize that he was also known as The Shape, then I don't know. Well, what I want to know is is there a first version of this book just called Taking Shape? That'd be awesome if there wasn't. <laughs> right? <laughs> You can look that up. Um, these are all books that came out this year, by the way. So that's why they're on this list, because they are, these are all new books. I actually didn't even look up to see if there is a Taking Shape 1. Um, but Austers, Austers, authors Dustin McNeil and Travis Mullins are back to bring you an inside look at 24 lost Halloween sequels that you never saw on the big screen. Can you imagine if there was 24 more Halloween movies than there are currently in existence? I'd rather not. (laughs) 
well, yeah, I'm assuming there's a good reason why these 24 movies were not made. Um, but you can learn about these fascinating unmade visions direct from their creators, many of whom have never spoken publicly on the subject before at 600 pages. That's a big fucking book. Well, there's 24 movies. Right. True. True. Still. Um, Taking Shape 2 is brimming with untold franchise history. The journey begins with an insightful forward by one of the producers and writers of Halloween 25 Years of Terror, which is a retrospective documentary about the Halloween films that came out in 2006 um, by Anthony Massey. So he does the forward of this book. And I don't remember if I've actually seen that documentary, but if I haven't, that is definitely something to add to my list. There is a Taking Shape 1, although it's just called Taking Shape, um, that this is a book. It's just a deep dive into the evolution of Halloween's vast mythology. So uh, it's it's about the mythology over the last 40 years of the of the movie. And then this sequel is all about the Lost, uh, the Lost sequels, which I think is fascinating. Yeah, I, I think it's fascinating as well. Um, if you are into, um, women in horror movies or feminist horror, there is the science of women in horror, the special effects, stunts, and true stories behind your favorite fright films. So gothic media moguls, Meg Halfdahl and Kelly Florence, who are authors of the science of monsters, and they are also co-hosts on the horror rewind podcast, present a guide to feminist horror movies, TV shows, and characters we all know and love through interviews, film analysis, and bone chilling discoveries. The science of women in horror uncovers the theories behind women's most iconic roles of the genre They explore age-old tropes such as, quote, the innocent, um, like Lydia in Beetlejuice, the Gorgon, like Pamela Voorhees in Friday the 13th, and also the uh, mother roles, um, like in Psycho. Uh, Also, they delve deeper into female forward film and TV, including The Haunting of Hill House, Mindy, one of our favorites, um, Mm -hmm. Teeth. Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and much, much more. So hmm. that actually sounds really interesting. Spencer. Um, what? <laughs> <laughs> but that, yeah, I I would actually really like to read that. Um, for all you Stephen King fans out there, there is The Science of Stephen King, The Truth Behind Pennywise, Jack Torrance, Carrie, Cujo, and more iconic characters from the Master of Horror. That is all the title. That is a long title. Um, So Meg Halfdahl and Kelly Florence must have either a lot of free time to work on their creative projects, which I'm totally jealous of, or they just don't get a whole lot of sleep because they also co-wrote this book as well as the... uh, the one I just mentioned. Um, and both of these books came out in 2020. Well, so, when you're a professional yeah. writer and that's your job, then you do have time to write two books in one year. Right? That's so awesome. I, I wish <laughs> I wish I had a job that just allowed me to be creative all the time. Um, but this is a guide to the Stephen King stories and characters we all know and love through interviews, Literary and film analysis and bone-chilling discoveries, the science of Stephen King delves into the uniquely horrific Stephen King universe to uncover the science behind the legendary novels that have become an integral part of modern pop culture. 
Uh, if John Carpenter is more your thing, there is the book Assault on the System, the Nonconformist Cinema of John Carpenter, the color edition. I don't know if there's a black and white edition as well. Um, but this charts Carpenter's trajectory from screenwriter for hire to director of low budget oddities like Dark Star from 1974 to his meteoric rise and fall within the very system he came to distrust. All of Carpenter's films are analyzed in detail, including his forays into made for TV movies um, or made for TV fair and his various sideline projects as a writer, a composer and a producer. They're all examined in this book. There's also brand new interviews with Carpenter and his wife, Sandy King Carpenter, and also actor Keith Gordon. Um, They provide a glimpse into the man, his methods, and what makes him tick. There's also hundreds of photographs, including theatrical posters, stills, behind-the-scenes shots, and more. Um, So I know... A lot of our listeners are huge John Carpenter fans, so that might be a great gift for you guys to buy yourselves. (laughs) Mindy, you might actually like this next one a lot since you are a classically trained musician. I don't know if I'd go that far, but sure. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you you take piano lessons or you you play the piano. I played music for a long time, yeah. (laughs) We'll put it that way. There's a new book called Scored to Death 2. And yes, this one is a sequel. Um, More conversations (laughs) with some of horror's greatest composers. So following in the spirit and style of Scored to Death. I really like the title, by the way. Um, The original book came out in 2016. This popular first book uh, interviews some of um, horror movie music greats and J. Blake Fischera's Score to Death 2 collects 16 brand new info-packed, terrifyingly entertaining interviews with renowned composers who have provided the music for some of horror's most revered films, film franchises, and TV shows, including Get Out, Us, Martin, Reanimator, The Walking Dead, Puppet Master Saw, Creepshow, Day of the Dead, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, let's see, Evil Dead, Army of Darkness, Dark Shadows, Burnt Offerings, The Terminator, The Serpent and the Rainbow, uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, Audition, Ghoulies, Happy Death Day, It Follows, Gretel and Hansel, and many, many more. Uh, there's a forward by writer and director Eli Roth and an afterward by composer Christopher Young. So he interviewed the composers of the music of all those movies? And TV shows. And, and, TV, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. I will say cool. that I actually had the cassette soundtrack of um, A Nightmare on Elm Street for the Dream Master because there was this piece of music towards the very end that was really beautiful that I really loved. And uh, I owned that as a kid, actually, on cassette. So I might want to read this book, but weird random admission that like a 10 year old had a cassette of a Freddy Krueger soundtrack. (laughs) Well, you can buy that book for yourself. Um, Or Mindy's parents, if you're listening, you know, I'll buy it for myself. (laughs) Put it on your list. Put it on your list. (laughs) All right. Um, So this is a movie I actually just watched this week because of this, um, this book <laughs> that I included. Is this the Shutter movie about? No. No, okay. No. 
Okay, so this book is called Cruising, and in parentheses, Devil's Advocates. In the fading atmosphere of the new Hollywood era, William Friedkin, director of the Academy Award-winning film The French Connection from 1971, who then scored an even bigger success with The Exorcist from 1973, began work on what would prove to be the most controversial film of his career, Cruising from 1980, which is about a police detective who goes undercover in the underground S&M gay subculture of New York City to catch a serial killer who is preying on gay men. It stars Al Pacino, Paul Sorvino, Karen Allen, who plays Marion from the Indiana Jones movies, Joe Spinell is in it. He plays Frank from the original Maniac movie. And there's also a very young... Ed O'Neill, uh, a.k.a. Cool. Ted, not Ted Bundy, Al Bundy. <laughs> I was like, wait Sorry. a minute. <laughs> I've always I've always got Ted Bundy on the brain um, or serial killers on the brain. Um, but yeah, I think this is Ed O'Neill's very first role. And he looks like a freaking baby, like baby Al Bundy. Um, it's kind of funny. Baby Al Bundy. <laughs> um, in the process, he established a template for a subgenre the serial killer thriller that would thrive long after his film had left theaters, having caused widespread offense among the very audience he hoped to appeal to via a campaign mobilized by the counterculture press. As such, cruising can be read as a bitter farewell to the 70s and its cinema and industry. This devil's advocate dives deep into the phenomenon that is cruising, examining its creative context and its protagonists, as well as examining its ongoing popularity as it turns 40 in 2020. So I was like, I need to watch this fucking movie ASAP. So I watched it just a couple nights ago, and it is... Wow. I can imagine why people hated it. I mean, it, it's just, it just, you have to just watch it for yourself. I, I don't, we can do a whole episode on this movie, but just go watch it for yourself. It is kind of amazing. And I don't know if I like it or not. I still haven't decided. Um, but I think everyone needs to see it. And that's all I'm going to say. I kind of want to read this book and see what it has to say about the movie. Actually, I'm going to ask. I have a friend who I think did an art project based on this. Really? But yeah, no, he did a an art project. Um, but it's like a, for grad school, like a number of years ago, a visual art project. And I'll touch base because if we do decide that we want to like go talk about this further, he would probably be a good resource if we can grab him. Hmm. But yeah, it's interesting and scary and horrifying and gross all at the same time. Yeah, his art project? or the Oh, no, the, I, the story. Sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was going to say the, um, the movie was also, uh, yeah. I, uh, anyways, our final book. <laughs> our final book is for all you horror slash art lovers out there hung drawn and executed the horror art of graham humphreys it is a 176 page book of iconic movie posters illustrations and paintings that showcase graham's amazing body of work it also includes a step-by-step breakdown of his painting process graham humphreys 
career as a poster artist looms large over the horror uh, cinema community. He designed a lot of iconic posters that I'm sure you're very familiar with, including Evil Dead, Nightmare on Elm Street, House of Thousand Corpses. Uh, Yeah, his work is just familiar to everyone. And there's a lot of previously unseen work, paintings, drawings, and color studies that are included in this book as well. Um, So yeah, it might make a nice coffee table book. For me, it would make a nice coffee table book for me. This sounds really interesting, actually. And I love movie posters. So I think I've had some of his work, well, copies of some of his work uh, hanging in my bedroom at one point as a kid, because I think I had a, a Freddy movie or two Freddy Krueger Nightmare on Elm Street poster or two at some point so this is very cool thank you Sharon yeah you are welcome so yeah so there you go if you're looking to get yourself or that horror lover in your life something special here's some great options for you um for Christmas or Hanukkah gifts or any other holiday gift or you know what birthday gifts just any old damn thing Or just a surprise gift. Even if you don't celebrate any of the holidays or just a surprise gift. Um, Yeah, so that is going to do it for this episode of Tidbits of Terror. Thank you all for listening to us. As always, you can write us at horrorstalkhorror at gmail.com. We want to hear your fucked up holiday stories. Uh, As always, ghost stories, creepy stories, cult stories, Uh, Whatever it is that you want to share with us that we can read on our show, please subscribe to us and rate and review us. It helps us get more exposure. Mindy, what else? (laughs) Um, You might want to keep an eye on the feed because we have uh, Christmas true crime stories coming up next week. And then... Get ready for our two-part non-spoilery episodes where we do a roundup of all of the 2020 horror movies we watched this year. Uh, So check out the rest of this month's episodes. Please, 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 as always, be kind to each other and be safe. And as always, thanks thanks for getting getting creepy with us. Sharon, you want a beer? Uh, oh my god.